Thank you for listening to the SCIP podcast. Today's episode features a session from the recent SCIP Aviation Forum, which took place in Dallas, Texas in November of 2022. To learn more or join us at the next SCIP event, visit live.skip.com. Enjoy the conversation. Please welcome the CEO of American Airlines, Robert Isom, in conversation with Skift Airline Weekly Editor, Edward Russell. everybody. As uh, Rafit said, welcome to the first inaugural Skift Avi- uh, Aviation Forum here in Dallas. I'm Edward Russell, the editor of Airline Weekly, and uh, my guest today needs almost no introduction. Robert Isom leads American Airlines, the largest airline in the world. He has been CEO since March after six years as president and uh, chief operations officer at American and U.S. Airways before that. So welcome, Robert. Yeah, it is good to be here. Thanks. Excellent. Well, we are at an aviation conference, so I want to kick things off. It says you're the biggest, you're a big av geek in your bio, so I've got to ask, mm. what's your favorite plane? A favorite plane right now is uh, planes that deliver on time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we, ha- we have all flavors. So I think we're the world's largest uh, operator of Embraer aircraft, the world's largest operator of the old Bombardier aircraft. Uh, we're one of the biggest operators of Boeing and Airbus. So you're asking me to choose among all the children? No way, buddy. <laughs> not, not gonna happen. They're all, really, they're all really great. I like the ones that deliver on time. I like the planes that arrive on time. So that's my favorite flight. <laughs> right? A very diplomatic answer, right. for sure. The best flights are always the ones that, that yes, arrive on time and, and you don't remember a day after, but of course. Speaking of operations, we're here a week before Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, operations have been in the news a lot this summer, this spring. There were issues. Things have gotten better. Is America ready for, for the holidays? Well, f- first off, I'd just like to thank Skift for holding a conference in DFW, Dallas, okay? That is a, a big deal to us. Anytime you want to come, I'm happy to, to come and talk to anybody. Bringing people in on, on my aircraft, that's, that's a great deal. So, you know, are we ready? You know, look. We've had three hurricanes in the last few months. Uh, we've had you know, all, all sorts of, of issues that you know, come our way. Yet the last month, October, was one of the best months in our company's history in terms of on-time performance uh, and in terms of completion factors. So I believe we're ready. Now, as we get into to the holidays, one of the things that in the past uh, has always been asked is, you know, you have a lot of peaking to your schedule. So, and, and, and also the way people travel, you know, it's, it's all on one day and not on another. One of the things that we're seeing though is that demand is more spread out. It's just really high. And at least from an airline perspective, we don't have the ability to actually peak and valley as much as we've had in the past. So I look at the holidays as a really busy period of time, something we have to get ready for, making sure all the right resources are in the right place. 
but it's something I know that we have more pilots on hand than we've ever had for the, the type of flying that we're doing, more flight attendants, and then also our team members. So we're ready. Good. That's, that's really good to hear. And I think every traveler out there, I can say, is uh, looking forward to an uneventful and smooth holiday travel season. But again, Ned, the thing that I think most people experience, and I, I don't know uh, how your travels were coming into this conference, but you're on pretty full planes, right? So we're operating a really uh, robust schedule today. Uh, Americans operating the, the, the largest schedule, and we've been doing that for some time now. So I have great confidence that what we see coming forward uh, over the Thanksgiving holidays and then as we get to the, the, the year end, we'll be in good shape. Excellent. So it's interesting, you mentioned that uh, you know, people are spreading out their travel yeah. and everything. I spoke to Nick Calio at Airlines for America a yeah. few days ago, and, and he talked about a sort of a, a week of Thanksgiving, like right. people pushing out. Are, are you seeing that, that it's no longer the, the Wednesday before and the Sunday after and everyone's on the road, that it's more of a spread out holiday period? It's, it, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you're talking to Nick. He's a good guy. Um, so Nick heads up A4A and uh, advocates on behalf of, of the airlines, which is something we need these days. But yeah, travel is, is as it's come back, and as all of you know, you know we, we, we're doing things differently. So as much as you'd like to say that you got to get all your work done Monday through Friday, you know, people are spreading out, not just you know, nine to five, but going throughout the, the day, but then also the week as well. And I think as well, it's just, you don't need to have your holiday on a Saturday and Sunday. People are much more willing to, to do that at, at, at different times and also mix you know, purposes of travel. So I see it all over the place and I think that that bodes well because it ultimately means that for our airports, for our planes, you know, we're not all beholden to the same structures as we were in the past. We can become much more efficient because demand is regularly high at all periods. I mean, you're talking about full flights and, and strong demand, and that's absolutely something that we keep seeing. You said uh, during the third quarter earnings call about a month ago that you see no slowdown in demand despite the you know, potential macroeconomic pressures. Is that still holding true? Are you still, things to look good? Oh, I, th I think so, Ned. Well, it's, it's really amazing to think of where we started this year. Right, so American in the first quarter lost you know, $1.9 billion, right? And the industry as a whole was still you know, wondering what's gonna happen with, with the pandemic. Since that time, we've had a profitable second quarter, we've had a profitable third quarter, we're projecting a profitable fourth quarter, we're looking to a really nice 2023. So you know, something has definitely changed. And, and what, I, what I think is, is happening is people have gotten through the pandemic and gotten more comfortable with get, getting out and returning to life as, as, as usual. What we're seeing is that the economy has grown for the last three years, you know, probably a, a three, four, 5% clip every year. The airline business, compared to where we were in 2019, is still almost 10% smaller just with, with all airlines capacity. So it's not pent up demand, it's demand that's coming back at a level uh, that is where we were in 2019, and then progressing just based on you know people wanting to get out. So I view that where we're at right now, recession or no recession, demand is, is strong, and demand is at a level where uh, airlines are still you know trying to get the capacity out there to serve it all. Yeah. So then it sounds like you would agree with uh, with your competitor uh, Delta CEO at Bastion called travel counter cyclical in his own third quarter earnings calls that. 
I mean, do you agree with that, that assessment? Well, I don't know, I don't know if I'd call it counter-cyclical uh, because again, I think what we're dealing with is a situation where capacity uh, isn't yet uh, sized to where demand is. Uh, there will always be some variability in, in terms of, of, of travel patterns. We, we, we know that, uh, but over time, as we are able to, to, to meet that demand, we'll, we'll see where, where, where things go. But for now, I do think that we're in a period that no matter how the economy gyrates, that we're at a level where demand is certainly uh, sufficient enough to, to, to support uh, the capacity that's out there today. Excellent. And so you mentioned the constraints in capacity, and that's something that you know I've been writing about at Airline Weekly. You know, uh, Airbus and Boeing are not meeting their delivery targets. There's a pilot shortage in the U.S., a captain shortage, as uh, one of your affiliates, Piedmont Airlines, just offered bonuses the other day, $100,000 bonuses to get captains. I mean, how are these constraints you know, weighing on American? What, what, what does that mean for American? Well, we should, should probably talk about you know, why we're in this, this position. Uh, and that is that you know, 30 years ago, all the major airlines hired a lot of pilots, okay? But what you're 30, 40 years ago, we hired a lot of pilots, but what happens is at age 65, your pilots have to retire. That's you know, the, the, the federal rules. So we're seeing massive numbers of retirements, more retirements than we've ever seen as an industry and an American as being you know, the largest airline in the business. We have the, the most retirements going on that we've, we've ever had. So we would have already been hiring at a record, record clip just to replace those retirements. But during the pandemic, you know, nobody came into the business. Uh, you know, people that were training stopped training. You know, what's going to go on? We all pulled our schedules down. It was, you know, really a, a tough time for the business. So we've had then a deficit of, of new pilots, new aviators coming into the business. And what we're left with is we've got to make up for what has been lost. On top of that, we have to make up for what the holes that are in the, in the pipeline. And so I do believe though that the, the pilot profession is one that is you know, unique and that it is attractive. It's something that can build generational wealth. You can start out making, you know, 80, 90, $100,000, you can build up to making a half a million dollars a year. It's something that will ultimately attract people. It's just that we have to get caught up. And so on that front, we're working just about everywhere we can think to, to find ways to support to fi the financing of pilots coming into the business and then accelerate you know, people as, as they train through. At American, on a main, from a mainline perspective, we're gonna have plenty of supply of, of, of pilots. It's just a, a factor of training them right now. And we have, the resources, we have the resources to do it and we expect to be able to get back to where we wanna be over the course of the next year. The regional is a little bit different business because we're pulling so quickly from the regional airlines, they don't have enough time to actually build the hours to become captains. Right. And that is going to take some time. And I think that that will probably take a few years to work its way through. But we'll, we'll be able to do it, uh, no doubt. It's a great profession. It's something that I really encourage folks that you know, wanna go spend the time and investment uh, in getting a, a, a private pilot's license and then a commercial rating. It's something that will be, bode well for the future, yeah. I know American has a, a cadet academy to get people yeah. coming into its regionals, and, and you talk about the need to, um, to build generational wealth and wealth right. and diversity. You know, pilot, the pilot uh, career path has definitely been, uh, it's not been the most diverse in, in the past. I mean, what, what is American doing to you know, make sure that it's, you're bringing in a diversity of candidates into yeah. uh, 
I don't, I don't think Americans are any different than, than the rest of the industry. You know, fewer than, and I'll get my numbers wrong a little bit, but fewer than 5% of our aviators are, are, uh, are women, uh, first off. And then second, you know, I think, and I, I don't know the exact number, but it's even less than that, that, that are actually you know, uh, African-American. And those are, those are just startling statistics. And, but one of the issues is not just a, it's awareness that, hey, this is a profession that you can go and run out and pursue, but it's also, you know, access. And so some of the things that we're doing right now are, first off, our Cadet Academy and basically funding and financing, uh, not just the cost of, of building hours and, and training, but also the living expenses that go along with that. But then we're also then reaching out to areas that haven't typically produced you know, large pools of pilots. And on that front, we're making tremendous success, uh, both with, with women and then also with uh, uh, our black aviators. We've increased numbers significantly, and I'm really looking forward to the future because the pipeline that we're building through the, the Cadet Academy, okay, is, is not predominantly, but we are uh, now have a majority of those that have been underrepresented in that Cadet Academy. So as they come through, it is going to have an impact not only on the regional airlines, but on the main lines as well. I mean, that's great, because yeah. you mentioned the need for that funding, and, and for those that aren't familiar, I mean, becoming a pilot, yeah. just, just the certification of the training couldn't cost $100,000, not to mention you still have living expenses. Right. Most people, yeah, you still need to feed yourself, live somewhere, so it's really important. But now, I'll tell you this, though. So it does sound like a daunting number, right? But think about, we were, we were talking, I know you have a young child. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I hope you're saving up for college education. Oh, which, yes. Which, it, which is a good idea. Start now. It, 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 it all pays for itself down the road. But if you think about the cost of a college education, which can be, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for sure. And in many cases, no guarantees for what comes next. You don't have to have a college education to become uh, a commercial uh, airline pilot. You don't have to have a, a, a college degree to come and, and, and work for American Airlines. You can go and fund that $100,000 to build the, the hours and ultimately get a job that you can finance that education over. No different than a, a college education. So I think it's still a compelling financial argument. We just have to make people aware and then find ways to give access. Absolutely. Access is so key. So while we're on the topic of, of we talked about pilots, uh, you mentioned flight attendants earlier, it's, uh, you know, how are relations with your, your unions at the moment? Right. We had uh, flight attendants picketed the other day, yeah. flight pilots have picketed as well. I mean, what's, uh, what's the status of those relations and, and the talks with pilots currently on, on contract? Well, look, it's, aviation has not been an easy business over the last few years, right? We, we, we all know that, right? There's been significant gyrations and, you know, companies have had to go out and do extraordinary things in terms of downsizing and upsizing. And we've asked our people to do things that they've never thought about in the past. You know, when, when did we think that we were going to have to mask and then have our flight attendants, you know, be enforcers? They don't want to enforce. They want to serve. I mean, that's why they came into the, into the profession. So I really feel for uh, those that are in the profession because we've asked them to do extraordinary things. And so as we come out of the pandemic, uh, they're, they're not immune to, you know, the, the economy, the effects of economy, inflation. And they're asking, hey, when are we going to get back to something that is you know, reasonable in terms of work life and also you know, compensation? And on that front, you know, I'm pleased to say that we've set American up 
to be able to take, to take care of that. So whether it's our regional pilots where we've talked about significantly increasing wages to, to attract more, more pilots into the business, or for our, any number of, of, of our other work groups. We're in negotiations with our mainline pilots right now. We reached a, uh, an agreement that uh, went to their board of directors that would have given, over the course of the next uh, two years, pay increases of 20%. We're in negotiations with our flight attendants as well right now. I know that because of the kind of things that we're talking about, these are, these are things that the, the unions and the company want to deliver. We know it's important, can't wait to get it done as soon as possible. And, and ultimately, I do think that there's benefit. The, the way that you can actually run the airline you want to is have you know, people that are really engaged and feel well taken care of. And we're trying to do that. No, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, uh, the pilot agreement, I know they, they rejected those pay increases. So it seems like there's still some talks there that, that you have to do, but um, you know, hopefully you, you will reach those soon. Yeah. And stuff. Excellent. Um, we've got a poll question here. Uh -oh. I thought we, we, we'd ask this. So, you know, business travel has been a big thing, a uh, big recovery uh, here at Skiff. We've written about sort of the great merging Roffitt's uh, essay on that sort of blended travel. So we've got this poll result. Will global corporate travel come back to pre-COVID levels? It looks like 75% of you say yes, but still several years. Is that, uh, Robert, do you agree with that? Or are you more in the yes very soon camp? Oh, I'm, I'm in the yes very, very soon camp, but this, this goes back, Ned, to what we were talking about in terms of travel coming back differently. Uh, it is. Uh, you know, right now, I think, I don't, I don't have the exact numbers, but we've seen such an increase in, in direct bookings at, at AA.com and, you know, through, through other direct channels. That's, all, that's not all leisure travel. Okay, what has happened during the pandemic is business, business has changed. We all know that small businesses, small medium-sized businesses, have far outpaced what the, the business travel of, of the, what we had called the larger corporates. But there's something else going on as well. I do think that there's a lot of travel that's going on that is falling outside of the old corporate travel policies. And so identifying what is really, you know, kind of the old corporate contract versus you know, people that are just saying, hey, look, I want to travel and the companies are going to reimburse me yeah. because travel is something that is uh, important to my quality of life and is not something that needs to be managed, you know, to the nth degree in terms of costs. Yeah. I think that this is a, a change and that, you know, as we take a look at, at, at travel going forward, especially corporate travel, I think people are going to look at it uh, equally as much as a benefit as opposed to just an expense that has to be managed. And that's what, that's what I see right now. So when we talk about a poll that says, hey, it may be you know, years, I, th I think we're seeing, look, I know revenues are, are back you know, prior to what they were and far exceed and exceeding where they were in, in 2019. And my, my guess is, is that a good chunk of that are people that you know, are doing corporate work that are out there traveling. And, and I think as people do get back to the office, the pandemic wanes even further. I think it bodes very well for the business. It's upside. Absolutely. I mean, you, you get to an interesting point, and, and Vasu Raja, uh, your chief commercial officer, spoke to this, spoke about this, the Skiff Global Forum. Is, I mean, how do you measure that? I, I, I have to say, I mean, not giving away anything, but Skiff, you know, we book our own on travel, which is business travel, but we don't. You do? It. Yeah, yeah. Well, we book it on, on AA.com or whatever go. website, but, right. you know, how do you measure that? Like, how do you know that I'm taking a business trip? Like, it's, yeah. Well, the, the good news is we have a lot of data. Okay. Right? And in, in the past, you could, you could really tell what a business trip was, right? You know, somebody that's flying from, 
you know, Chicago to LaGuardia, you know, on a same day trip, right? Pretty obvious that, you know, you're, you're not going to visit, you know, grandma and, and, and not checking out the MoMA for the latest exhibit. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're not doing that. So there were ways to define it. And the other thing that we found were that there were easy ways to define it just based on, you know, a day a week that people traveled as well. Yeah. Very easy to categorize. That's all, you know, something that we've got to, to, to relook at. But there's, there's obvious ways to, to take a look at that. And one of the things that I know that Vasu will talk to you about as well is that we see people, just their, their spending behavior is something where it's, it's different th th than in the past. You know, people are much more likely, you know, to take a look at, you know, potentially buying up and, and finding some conveniences for their leisure or business travel. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. You mentioned I have, I have an almost four-year-old son and, you know, while I'm not about to book him into a business class seat, I'm definitely willing to buy up to premium economy for a little extra comfort when we fly. So it's... Uh, well, you don't care that much about your child? <laughs> book him in. What? I, I, that, Ned, we're going to have to talk later. <laughs> I don't think he would fully appreciate <laughs> okay. the, uh, the meals. The ice cream he would definitely enjoy. I, I can promise you that. But. I get it. Well, you know what? I can tell you this, once we get him in that seat, okay, he's hooked. He's not, he's not going to go back. <laughs> he's already right. booked on travel, so. <laughs> right. That's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about, we're here at DFW in, in Dallas, and of course DFW is, is your big hub and everything. Right. You know, I wrote a lot about, in 2019, DFW 900, which right. was getting your Dallas-Fort Worth hub to 900 departures a day. Right. And, you know, there was a big push, you met it, yay, and then the pandemic happened and you pulled back. You know, what's the plan for DFW? Are you back to, going to go back to 900? Is it, is, are there, has the growth plan changed? Tell us a little bit. Well, it, it, it's really a great time to be in, in DFW, you know, and whether you're on the Dallas side or Fort Worth side, and I always have to give a shout out to the Fort Worth side, that's where our headquarters is. Uh, Mayor Parker would kill me if I didn't uh, say, <laughs> hey, look, uh, you know, that's, that's our, our home as well. But we are in such a vibrant economy here in North Texas. You couldn't pick a better place to have a hub. You couldn't pick a better place to have a corporate headquarters. Whether it's talent that's coming in, whether it's conferences like this, growth here is different than, than other parts of the country. And it's gonna continue. And, and part of that is facilitated uh, by you know, the city mothers and fathers of both Dallas and Fort Worth years and years ago by combining to create DFW. It's an airport now that we know is I think the second busiest hub, hub in the world. American has a, a good chunk of, of the traffic out of DFW. There's a lot of connecting traffic there, but it's a geographically, you know, ideal place uh, to do that, that kind of connecting traffic. So as we look to the future, DFW is going to be that cornerstone on which uh, uh, American grows. And so we couldn't be more happy. And I know you have Sean Donahue. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you're Sean, you're gonna talk. you just said cornerstone, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Sean, you're, I know you're going to talk to Sean, and, and, Sean there, and there's growth coming. I know Sean's going to talk to you about you know, the desire to even expand DFW, for, DFW further. So we have you know, sufficient runways. I'm concerned always about the airspace. Sean can, can talk to you about that as well. We, we, we definitely need to make sure that, that we expand that as time goes on. But for Americans' plans, yeah, the, the pandemic, you know, probably sidelined, you know, some plans. We took, we've taken departures down to about 
750 or so. By next summer, I think we'll grow that back by 75, maybe uh, almost 100 flights, which is good. And then as we take a look uh, at uh, two or, th or three years and beyond, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to be back up to 900. And, and as Sean can tell you, the, the plans that we have and that we're in discussions with him are about going beyond 1,000. And, and that's all you know, fantastic. That'll be a number of years out, out into the future. Right. But what we've got to make our way through right now are some of these short-term constraints. Right. So at American, we have over 100 regional air, uh, aircraft that are you know, unfortunately not being utilized right now. You and still have 100 parked. It's, oh yeah, and you know, it, whether it's parked or lower utilization, it's the, it's the equivalent thing. And those are going to be you know, put back up into the air over the course of the next two or, th two or three years, but it's gonna take some time. Some of that has an impact here, here in, in DFW as well. Um, we've done a, a considerable amount of, of upgaging. So we've been able to increase our, to hold seats at a higher level, but departures are really important too. That is, is really dependent on making sure that we get our, our, our share of mainline pilots back up and trained and ready to go. And then also aircraft deliveries uh, in the longer run uh, back, back on schedule. So there's a number of constraints that we have to work through, but I'm very bullish on uh, DFW, uh, have a great relationship with, with the, the airport and the team there, and a tremendous amount of investment uh, that, that's going in. You know, has anybody gone out to see the, the new high sea gates? Sean, we'll, we'll talk to you about that, that I know. And, um, you know, we're flying to just about every point in the world. Uh, except China. But. <laughs> except, except China. Well, China through, through uh, Korea these days. Uh, but the hope is, is that, you know, as uh, Asia opens up as well, we'll be able to restart those services. We've got a fantastic set of partners as well right. that, that we're coordinated with. So between us and our partners, uh, DFW is, you know, the place to be. That's excellent. I mean, it, it really is the epitome of sort of the the massive global connectivity hub. I mean, yeah. you get from anywhere to anywhere via, via DFW. I want to ask you a question out of um, the current news cycle. Uh -oh. uh, this, so a bit of a change. We, we've all been probably following the situation at Twitter, Elon Musk's takeover, and some of the stuff. You know, airlines use Twitter a lot to interact with customers and everything. Is that changing? Are you are you thinking, is American changing any of that? It's, uh, it's interactions, it's, it's use of Twitter there yet? Now, Dan, here's, here's what I tell you. American goes to, to where our customers are. Okay. That's the way that we're always going to you know, approach it. So I guess peeling back a little bit, for the most part, we don't do a lot of what you consider advertising, right? If you want to go fly, you know where to go find a ticket on American Airlines. Uh, you, we, it's not like we have to create you know, a tremendous amount of awareness. But there are, there are you know, new projects, new initiatives, you know, whether it's our new premium seating or you know, new, new aircraft that are coming on. There's ways that we like to get out and talk to folks. So that little bit of, of advertising that we do, do we want to make sure it's really effective. Twitter hasn't been something that's been you know, very large in our budget, uh, but it's something where we're going to go to where customers are. Okay. Is that budget for Twitter being cut at this point or, or being paused at the moment or anything? Or? It's, it, it's something that you know, we're taking a look at, again, in terms of overall demand and, and where customers want to interact. Okay. No, fair enough. So another, uh, another topic that's dear to my heart and uh, actually uh, went, went a little viral earlier this year was the Americans' launch of bus service at Philadelphia yeah, right. Airport. Uh, that's been operating for, oh, four or five months now, right. maybe a little longer. How, how is that doing? So it's, it's doing really well. And we're not, we're not the only airline that has done that, so I can't take credit for the idea. But, you know, look, in, a, in an environment where there are constraints, 
uh, in an environment where people want convenient service and really want to leave the hassle at home, okay, short distances in some, some you know, bus routes you know, actually makes sense. What we're trying to do, though, is to, to make it even more efficient. So, look, if you're you know, trying to make it in uh, from you know, Lancaster to you know, Philadelphia, you know, if you could do that by actually clearing security at home and then making your way all the way to the, aer to the airport without having to also you know, re-clear security, it's going to be really efficient. And not only that, you don't have to park. You don't have to, you know, have the, the issues with traffic. And it's a really, I haven't been on it, but it is, I, from what I can see in the pictures I've seen, it's a really comfortable coach ride. It's not going to be something that, you know, expands greatly. Okay. But for cities that either, you know, can't, that we can't support with aircraft, with uh, uh, service right now because of our own constraints, or those that have limited demand, and you know what, the kind of, the, the portion of capacity more, better matches a 25 or 30 person a day you know, type route, right. there's always gonna be you know, some benefit. Now, again, when we talk about that, it's, nobody's, nobody's out there saying, oh, this replaces or is something that is uh, you know, new and different novel than, that, that, you know, we, that hasn't been done before. What we look at this is offering another way of convenience for customers that are in close in areas. And you know what, it's working really well. That's really great yeah. to hear. Um, could this eventually be replaced by eVTOLs, electric uh, air taxis when so, they start arriving in a couple of years or is it, yeah. Th there you go. So fortunately for you know, that bus transportation, you know, the infrastructure is already set. The, roads, the roadways are there, uh, you know, high speed lanes are set up and you know, that, kind of, that kind of infrastructure is set up. With electric aircraft, with aircraft that you know, are of smaller size, that I know that there's a tremendous buzz and we have an investment in, in, in vertical, uh, there's a sustainability reason for doing that. There's also you know, a reason for keeping up where the customers want to, want to go and how they want to travel. But I think the same question holds there, that we can design an electric aircraft, yep. you can fly them today. Uh, we can do it for, for various ranges, close in ranges, but do we have the infrastructure set up? And it's not you know, kind of the out airport that, that I'm talking about, but do we have the, the, the ability to connect in the major hubs? Can we do that? Uh, and it's not just gates and it's not runways, but it's airspace. And from an airspace perspective, I think that that's something that we actually need to start getting ahead of. So we're all gonna spend the time and we'll put our bets down in different places on what new aircraft types can come. But if there's going to be more demand for airspace, um, that is something that takes a long-term investment. We know that we have, uh, we, we have to deal with, with issues today. Um, but as we look forward and we say, hey, there are drones. Uh, on top of that, there are gonna be smaller aircraft. There's more you know, private and, and corporate demand. And then there's more you know, commercial aviation, you know, a big airline type travel, that is going to require investment. And it's not investment that can be done in, you know, a year or two years. It's investment that has to be well thought out and, and actually uh, is going to be, you know, really sizable in terms of what we need to do. So big push here for, for uh, air, traffic moderniz air, air traffic control modernization. Uh, we've got to look to it. It's something on the horizon for all of us, especially as we take a look at some of these new uh, potential entrants.
Absolutely, and uh, I mean, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but air traffic control is another constraint mm -hmm. to, to operations right now, facing some of the similar staffing issues as, as pilots. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Robert, it was a pleasure to have you here at the inaugural in-person Skift Aviation Forum. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ned. Yeah. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.